Welcome to the Land and Blast podcast. I'm Sam Terrell. Chris Martin here. And today we're joined by Alex Larson, and we're going to be discussing Southern Oregon live water. Yeah. And I know you know a lot about this, but live water is super important, especially when it comes well, to rural properties. Let's start with defining what live water, we throw this term around live water. What does that what mean? What is live water? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Well, it's a good setting choice. <laughs> yes. right, right, right live water. This is some live water right here. Yes. No. So in general, we define live water as rivers, creeks, uh, could be ponds, lakes. It's, it, it's water features, but live water is, is kind of a term that gets thrown around for properties that describes a, a property being waterfront. Like we use the term live water. Yeah. I like the term live water because it describes action. It describes something of interest, uh, you know, on a property. Copy that. So... And how would you define it the same way, Alex? Or like, yeah, no, I, I think that that hits it the nail, nail on the head. I mean, it's it's water moving across your property under its own action. You know, we have tons of water features. You come up to a, a rural property and there's a fountain, and that's you know a nice sound and all that. But to have the natural gravity moving that water through and and all that that brings with the property is pretty awesome. Are there different kinds of live water? Or like, how do you would you break it up if someone was asking like, what is live water? I think a good example would be to kind of tell, for you to tell the story about Marshall, like how he honed in on like, or I should say a buyer that we just worked with. I'm sure he's fine with us sharing his name, but <laughs> a buyer that we were just working with, how he honed in on one river for a specific reason. And each, each person is going to be a little bit different in what they're looking for. But what I found is that people generally fall into, um, you know, kind of one of two categories with live water. Either they want to physically be able to enjoy it, meaning they want to be able to fish it, swim it, raft it, do whatever. Or all the above. <laughs> all the above, or that's one category in my mind, or the other category is people who just want the ambiance of being able to sit on their patio and listen to the riffle like we are right now. You know, th th those are the two categories and each body of water is gonna be different, gonna have different features and benefits. And oh, that's where it helps to know a little bit more about the area, about Southern Oregon. Yeah. Well, and as far as the different kinds of, you know, live water and, and what they what they mean to people, you know, I mean, uh, having a nice big pond on your property that maybe is stocked with bass is great for the fishermen, you know, but is it going to be, does it going to have that sound? Is it have that ambiance that maybe someone that really wants to be on a riverfront or creek front, um, you know, that's a, a, a different feel for someone. Um, but uh, I mean, in my experience uh, with, with that particular buyer was, it was honing on, in on location and riverfront and not just riverfront but riverfront that was impactful in a larger scale you know we wanted large acreage we wanted irrigation rights you know it's, it's much more than just listening to the riffle that we have in the background it's you know being able to fish it's being able to uh, grow your own food or cattle it's being able to um, kind of create a self-sustaining lifestyle yeah that's what water brings to the table yeah absolutely copy that and so you kind of you kind of mentioned like a few different points, but varying on the type, there's an importance to each, right? Yeah. Like, could you take us through maybe why certain types of water are, are important or where the different importances may be in the different water types? I think maybe the best way we can answer that is talking about the actual like rivers and creeks in Southern Oregon. Okay. Like, so we're sitting here, we're on the banks of the Rogue right now. Stunningly so, beautiful place. <laughs> namesake, the Rogue Valley. Yes. I mean, the Rogue is one of the top 
you know, attractions in the Pacific Northwest as far as a fishery, as far as whitewater rafting. I mean, it's, it's a big river. It's an impressive river. Um, and we're fortunate that it flows right through the Rogue Valley, Southern Oregon. Yeah. It's part of what makes this a great place to call home. Absolutely. And, you know, Southern Oregon really has three rivers. We have the Rogue, we have the Applegate, which is a tributary of the Rogue. Okay. And we have the Illinois River, which is also flows into the Rogue before the Rogue eventually dumps into the Pacific Ocean. Hmm. Um, the Rogue, Applegate, and Illinois <clears throat> really um, very different bodies of water. And I know it, it's wild to be in one county and, you know, or I guess two counties, one geographic area and have three different rivers that are wildly different. Mm -hmm. But the Rogue, I would, again, really kind of quantify as big water. Okay. So it is a great fishery. It's a great whitewater rafting opportunity. There's jet boat excursions. There's a lot of different things to do on it. There's tons of rafting. Um, but it is a navigable river. Mm -hmm. You know, as we just alluded to with all the different activities on it, if you own property on the Rogue, you are likely to have not only the road you came in on public, but you're also likely to have, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of either rafters, fishermen, whatever it might be each day going by, depending on where you're at on the river. Navigable versus non-navigable is also important because um, the banks of the Rogue are not necessarily private. Okay. It's public, meaning navigable to the high water mark. With certain properties, that can be a privacy issue. On the flip side, I know I just hammered on a couple of the negative things. Those are things to be aware of with the Rogue. On the flip side though, you know, it, it's big water. It is, it's the longest river. So it has the most available real estate on it, has the most diversity of different kinds of properties from a house in town in Shady Cove or Gold Hill or Grants Pass that's, you know, on a, on a lot that takes advantage of, of the river frontage to, you know, several hundred acre ranches that don't come up available very often, but when they do, are incredibly special. Um, I think I'll turn it over to Alex to talk more about the Applegate, which has become his stomping grounds for the last couple of years. I think you've talked to more property owners up and down the Applegate than whatever. most in the yeah. last few years. <laughs> Doing whatever I can out there, yeah. <laughs> but the Applegate is a non-navigable river, and it's also probably one quarter the size of the Rogue in CFS. I'm just taking a wild guess on that. It might be even a little bit less. Um, but it is a, it's a more user-friendly type river, but if you want to elaborate. Yeah, no, I like the term user-friendly, you know, um, as far as, let's say we were on a piece of private property here, you know, the Rogue is absolutely gorgeous, you know, but um, as fathers, you know, we have small kids, do I want my kids running down here to the bank and playing in the, in the river without, I mean, true helicopter notions out here? <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Whereas there are parts of the Applegate where it really slows down and dams up and it's, it's literally a little park. It's a little playground. Um, so it could be more, it could, could, could be considered more family friendly or, or accessible, uh, to property owners. Um, we talked about navigability, you know, you have the Applegate that is more of a private bank. so it's all, um, waters in the state of Oregon are, uh, owned by the, by the state but uh, we have that high water mark. And so when you have people in the public that can you know, come up here and dock off the Rogue River, you eliminate that issue on the Applegate. Uh, so you give it a more private sense. And on top of that, much like we're sitting at this uh, park with, I mean, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of feet of river frontage, there are much, much fewer feet of public access on the Applegate. So it creates an overall 
more private experience. For the landowner, the Applegate is much more exclusive. There's a oh, definite extremely. exclusivity factor to it, a privacy factor. Definitely. You yeah. and I driving through the Applegate Valley, trying to find a spot to get on the river. Doesn't happen. No. So, I mean, fortunately, we have some phone numbers. Yeah, but. Yeah. Okay. So, Public access doesn't really happen. <laughs> and then I guess that would be, so I, I'm sure people ask, you know, what is the best river to buy property on in Central Oregon? And from what you guys are saying, it may vary based on what you're looking for. We kind of skipped over the Illinois River briefly. And the reason we, in many ways, did is the Illinois River just, it cuts through the Illinois Valley and there's just a general lack of available housing on it. And it's much more remote to a get to. A lot of it is, is more of the um, uh, the Calmeopsis and the, uh, over there we're gonna be in the Rogue River National Forest. Yep. Um, and so there's, yeah, much less private property along it. Um, it's just generally it, a lot it more It has remote. a much more natural sense to me. I mean, you, you, you drive through the Illinois Valley and head out to the coast and you get that canyon feel. Um, it has a much more rugged... Um, I call it a more of a wilderness feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Definitely. Um, we'll say we didn't... The From a fishery point of view, the Rogue is definitely the most sought-after fishery. But the Applegate especially as some of the restoration projects that have happened out there where you can get in you can get there's some phenomenal fly fishing you know opportunities it is a closed fishery for salmon steelhead but there's some awesome trout fishing opportunities the illinois uh has not really become a draw for fishing it's much more of a draw for weekend warriors and guys going out there and uh you know finding jumping rocks and some of the high school partying much more recreational much more recreational (laughs) guardian yeah (laughs) Um, you know, there's, there's, I think there's more ambulance rides out of the Illinois than the other rivers. Oh yeah. Um, but I I think, you know, for Southern Oregon, it it is those three rivers. Um, and you know, from a property ownership perspective, if you want to truly use the water and get in it and be able to walk through it and swim and do like most of our clients have leaned a little bit more towards the Applegate, though they're willing to still buy on the Rogue. Um, you know, if you're looking for just that true, uh, kind of that, that picturesque sit on my deck, enjoy my glass of wine or my cup of coffee, there's a lot of property on the Rogue. And that's really, there's more what I'd call true riverfront views on the Rogue by a long shot from your house. Definitely. And with the control of Lost Creek Reservoir, you know, you, we, we typically tend to keep those views all through the year, even in low rain or low water seasons, the Rogue River, you know, holds its flow pretty well. The Rogue has an abundance of water still, yeah. even in drought conditions. And we got another podcast coming up on water rights that's going to come out after this one. So it, if you want to learn about, you know, how water rights are impacted on the different streams, tune into that one. Can be one of the more confusing topics that we deal with. <laughs> yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> we'll be here. We'll be here for a while. So, um, so you've got your three main rivers. You got mm-hmm. the Rogue the Applegate and the Illinois. And then on a smaller scale, do creeks come into play for live water for either buying or selling depending on the clientele? Without a doubt. I find it to be on a bit more of an aesthetic scale. Okay. You know, leaning far more towards that aesthetic scale. There are some uh, creeks that we could almost call little rivers and are definitely major arteries and supply irrigation to properties. But um, the, the creek is where I find a lot of people are maybe priced out of a Rogue Riverfront property or an Applegate front property, but they're honed in on waterfront. They are looking for a property that has water on it. 
And so they're looking for year-round water through a creek. And so it's just, it's another option. It's, I mean, essentially in a, in a hierarchy, we would obviously put river and then, and then creek. So, um, you know, some of the major ones that, that I'm used to are gonna be, you know, uh, Gleese Creek, Bear Creek, um, and uh, Graves Creek, as well as Jump Off Joe, kind of in my stomping grounds. Uh, out of sight of Grants Pass, but uh, I, visit, I visit some properties. Yeah, so let, let's back up a little bit on, on a couple of things you touched on. So you're out of Josephine County. Yeah. So one definite market difference between say the Grants Pass area and the Medford area, I would say there, you mentioned there are a couple of creeks that we would consider to kind of be like almost rivers. Yeah. So like Big Butte Creek and Little Butte Creek here almost have the same following as do the riverfront properties. Because in a lot of areas, they're nearly as big as the Applegate or the Illinois sure. in certain stretches. So I, I would put that caveat out there that there are a handful of creeks in our area, especially those two, that have more of a riverfront following. But then I would second everything else you said about <laughs> like the, you know, the, the creeks being second tier for people who are seeking live water. Now, a lot of people who don't necessarily have live water as an absolute must do end up with, you know, a property that has a creek on it. And that is... Um, you know, in, in many ways, creeks, you know, like you said, are, are kind of the, the one, the compromise. And then people, once they've lived on like a nice year round creek, they're like, man, I, I don't want the river. I don't want people, you know, I don't want to deal with that much water. I don't want to deal with that danger with the grandkids. I don't want to deal with that. I just want a place where I can go sit in my chair Certainly and occasionally stuff. catch a trout. You might not be not supposed to, but anyway, I mean, there's certain things that uh, you're not going to get on it, but you also aren't going to get flood insurance typically yeah. on a smaller creek. Yeah. You know, something that we deal with on the Rogue River is, you know, flood insurance can be a pretty spendy bill. Yeah. I think where we do get in a lot, little bit of trouble in the real estate industry, though, is and we try to stay away from it where you advertise creek front property, but it's really actually a seasonal creek that only has water in it like half the year. To me, there's a huge difference when you're talking about creeks in a true ripping year-round creek and a lot of the seasonal drainages that we have here. Especially, I think, um, you know, there are thousands of mapped streams on the maps around here. And of those, it feels like 5% of them are actual legitimate year-round creeks. Yeah, sometimes you get out there in person, it's like someone tipped over a uh, bottle of water and it used to run there. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah. Mm, does it really? Yeah. If water were there, it would run in this direction. <laughs> yeah, when you and I were like non-existent, like our parents were kids, there was water in yeah, it, I'm pretty there we sure. Go. Yeah. And so in the hierarchy, annual versus seasonal, how does that play into uh, your conversations with buyers or sellers when you're presenting a property like that? On the seller side, I'll let you answer the buyer side, it's all a value proposition game. Like, what, how much value can we add for this water feature? Mm -hmm. And that is dramatically impacted both by the aesthetic, the fishability, and the irrigation potential from that source. Okay. On the buyer side, yes, it's those three things. Um, but there's a there's a following, and you can talk about that. There are people, there's definitely a following to live water, like oh like, without a doubt. Like I don't want to live in the country unless I have live water. Sure. Yeah. No. And I mean, as far as you know, year round versus seasonal, um, you know, obviously if you can have the the water year round, that's going to be the the more desirable option. You give me seasonal, you give me year round. I'm gonna personally, I'm gonna pick year round. Yeah. Um, you know, but if it's something that you're just looking for for aesthetics and you know, wintertime, we get a great rainfall and snowpack around here. You're going to have a ripping, roaring creek through the wintertime. And that always all makes for a great, great aesthetic as well. So, I mean, if you don't have like an irrigation need for it, if you're 
well is strong and you don't have any, you know, domestic, you know, drinking water off the creek or anything, um, uh, a seasonal creek definitely gets you into that live water game and it makes your property that much more uh, appealing. Fraction of a price. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, you don't have the fishability, you don't have the irrigation, you don't have those things to um, add as a value proposition, but you still have that coming through your property. Yeah, gotcha. So in the pecking order in Southern Oregon, rivers would probably be what you consider prime real estate on water, live water. And certain creeks. And certain creeks. Yep. Then there's seasonal creeks. Well, I'd say then there's the, the general breadth of year round creeks, but aren't necessarily on that. Like you're not going to get the sound roaring in. You're not going to be able to like, you know, have swimming holes. Like they're, they're smaller, but they're still year round. Okay. So it'd be those rivers, rivers and big creeks, those year round creeks, which are still adding some value when I'm doing, you know, working with our sellers, I'm adding some value for that live water on the year round side. And then you've got this whole spectrum of seasonal creeks, which at that point, I, I personally cannot in good conscience, really add a bunch of value to it unless there's something really special about the the rest of the topography and how it lays out. Okay. So then what about big water? In Southern Oregon, there are lakes and there's yep. private and then there's public. Yep. Could you take us through those di <clears throat> distinctions? So yeah, let me, when we step out of, you know, the flowing streams and we step into bodies of water, the, a really important distinction is this idea between lake and pond. And then you can further look at those as to what the use is. So we have a few true public lakes that you can buy a lot on or buy a vacation home on. Lake of the Woods is the most popular destination and very few properties ever come available. And when they do, they sell for like 30 times what you think they'd be worth <laughs> when you look at the pictures. Copy that. Slightly sarcastic, but, but, but I'm quite made. It speaks yeah. to the value of water. for a million. Sure. It speaks to the value of water. Yeah. There is... Uh, uh, Hyatt, Hyatt Lake, Fish Lake, and Diamond Lake all have uh, leased cabins that you can purchase. So you purchase the cabin, but it's on a lease. And, you know, those transact on a more regular basis. They definitely don't have the same following as Lake of the Woods. Uh, but those are very much vacation-based properties, and they're also very limited. For example, you can't rent them out. Okay. They're very limited. You can't do VRBO businesses or different things of that nature. Um, those are really your options for lakefront property. I think there might be one or two houses on Immigrant Lake that you could call lakefront. There's a couple houses maybe on Lost Creek that you could call lakefront, where we're talking about like a dozen lakefront houses in Southern Oregon on like these well, public I think that's, lakes. Uh, wow. Another thing to talk about too is, is when you say we could call lakefront, now we're kind of talking about, so your property doesn't touch the lake but maybe you have public lands in between it. And we have properties like that on the Rogue River too, where, you know, I don't have technically a riverfront property. We're talking about river view and lake view yeah. properties mm -hmm. or lake access or river Correct. access. Yeah. And that's a, a hybrid of... <laughs> Agreed. And they don't, they don't get to trade at that, that same value structure as a riverfront property, but without a doubt, our clients, you know, they appeal to them. Oh, if when, you're showing you riverfront, you're showing river view, river access yeah. as well. Yeah, hmm. exactly. If I can pick up my fishing pole and I can walk through this little bit of U.S. forest land or BLM and get to the river and go fishing or the kids can go play, that's definitely Absolutely. right up in there. Absolutely. So going back to, so that's, that's kind of the public lake scene. Now, you know, if you're not from this area, especially if you're from the East Coast, lakefront property is like normal. Yeah. Like I know my family back in the Carolinas, like there's thousands of houses around all the lakes back there. Everybody, when you hit it, 
somewhat well financially. You, you own a lakefront house. Hmm. We just don't have the real estate here. We have the riverfront, but we don't have the lakefront. Interesting. Um, in Oregon, I mean, you can go up to Portland, Lake Oswego. Mm -hmm. There's 10 mile lake. There's a it's few lakes yeah, floating around. 10 mile lake. Uh, Loon Lake is another one. Um, yeah, it has some real estate. Has some on. real estate. Yeah. A handful of properties. Um, but yeah, no, it's, but it's very an interesting few aspect. In Oregon. So, um, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask. So in Southern Oregon, how do we distinguish between a pond and a lake? So general rule of thumb I've always gone by, and I think I can look this up somewhere and say that it's definitive, but it's five acres, five <laughs> okay. surface acres. I'll take your word five for it. Five five don't, don't quote me on exactly where I'm finding this. I, I looked <laughs> it up at one point. That's the Christopher glossary on water. Yes, yeah. yes, just take my word for it. But five acres and more surface acres, lake. Five acres and less pond. Probably, I'm gonna call it the unicorn opportunity in Southern Oregon, mm -hmm. is when you come up on a property that has a private lake. Okay. And a private lake, so our company sold three or four or five of those over the years. Um, I've been a part of two sales that had, one had a five acre lake, mm -hmm. Sourdough Gulch. And then I represent a buyer who bought a property that had a 10 surface acre ski lake oh, cool. on it. Yeah. And as a company, we have sold uh, Indian Lake Ranch and Star, Star Ranch. And uh, Robert sold a couple properties that had like 10 acre reservoirs on them. So. I guess my four-acre one was considered a pond. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Almost made it in there. Almost. Yeah, you're right. That that it's big body of water. Don't get uh, yeah. me wrong. No, yeah, it's bigger than my property. <laughs> but you and me both. That's kind of a utopia kind of opportunity to own uh, a private lake. You know, and generally speaking, the private lakes were established back in the day for irrigation purposes. So generally, it's also attached to a pretty nice irrigation right that mm. you have for the property. So they also have some value in that regard. But some of these lakes have the best bass fishing <laughs> in them. And on those bigger bodies of water, what do you find is the source? I mean, I know we have springs, but there's also what, creek inlets on them? Most of them are creek. So most of them are creek fed. And then at a certain point through the year, like you can, you can fill them until sometime in April. And then generally you have to start diverting that water back into the creek or some combination of those. Um, but a lot of these are really old, like ditch systems that go up into these watersheds and bring water down from a long distance. Understood. Um, so that's generally the source. Um, occasionally there'll be one that's somewhat spring fed. Yeah. That's unusual. That's going to be on the pond side. Yeah. So when you <laughs> I had actually a seasonal creek one, the one, you know, I'm on the pond side. I was at like four acres, yeah. um, but it was a seasonal, more of a drainage area, but that's all we needed all winter to collect that water and then be able to use that for irrigation purposes and yeah. fish. So gotcha. Yeah. The pond side, ponds are kind of a, a slippery slope when you say I have a pond. Well, generally speaking, like there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of ponds in Southern Oregon, but only a fraction of them are actually permitted as such. So sometime in the nineties, they opened up all ponds that it, you had, as a property owner, you had a certain number of time to register your pond, okay. to give it kind of, it was kind of a, a way for them to get control of all these things that were popping up, water storage. And a lot of people registered their ponds, but a lot of people said, that's the government, I'm not talking to you, yeah. didn't register them. So uh, when we're looking at property, like we do sell a lot of properties that have these unregistered, unpermitted ponds. And the reality is Oregon Water Resources, like unless you're abusing it and using it for something you really shouldn't do, it's, they're not yet out to make you fill those in. Sure. But it's a risk <laughs> you're taking when sure. you buy that property. Um, 
but generally speaking, the, the, there's about four or five different ways, four or five different uses that ponds fall under. Um, the pond registration is one, uh, irrigation reservoir, storage is another, uh, fish habitat, fire suppression, and um, sometimes stock water and other things of that nature is what the general use is. The reality is, um, you know, it's, it's a pond. Yeah. And what you do with it depends on the water source filling the pond, where it's coming from. If you're using it as part of your irrigation system, diverting water to it, there's all kinds of different things. Not gonna go into those weeds today. Not today. But <laughs> another time. More importantly, yeah. uh, generally good bass fishing still. That's, that's the important part. That's the main thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does inventory look like across the board for live water properties right now in Southern Oregon? i tell you, depending on the river that you want to get on the property type, it's, it's slim pickings. And, you know, because of the exclusivity of the property type, I mean, it, it sort of always is. Um, you know, what I've been most recently searching for is larger acreage waterfront um, and larger acreage that is abundant in utility. You know, so we're talking about not just an aesthetic, but having some sort of farming capability, flat land, things like that. And that can be really tough to come by, especially something that's remotely suitable. Um, but then we talked about, you know, being having river view properties. You know, when we get down and we have a property right now that's uh, in escrow where it is a, uh, I think we're what, just a little over a half acre, you know, house with a, uh, a couple of utility buildings. And uh, that has riverfront. We have a dock on that. I mean, you can fish, you can push off and go, go, uh, go rafting. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a different market segment than someone looking for a full featured farm. So yeah. even if there were a lot of just riverfront properties, then you can break it down into segments and they're all rare. Well, here's the reality. There's only X amount of real estate yep. on a river or a Creek. And you know, if you look at the total acreage of Southern Oregon, of private holdings, yeah. it's a minute percentage that is actually has true live water. Gotcha. Like true legit live water. So the answer is the inventory is always low. Yeah. However, right now, based on our track record right now, it's even lower than normal. Yeah. There's some property out there that's always kind of turning, but you have to be patient. You really have to. I mean, we were just talking about Marshall. That was a year and a half long. I think I actually just, I just came across one of the early emails and it was about two years ago yeah. um, that we, we started the process. Um, and you know, that was, I had a purview of basically a certain stretch of the Applegate River, um, wanted to stay. That was a, a larger acreage on the river. Uh, also, we're looking to kind of be in a particular school district. So, I mean, there's other facets too, sure. right? So now I've taken that and narrowed it down even further, <laughs> let alone just being on the river. I had to be in a certain spot of the river. Um, you know, I, I went down and I met a lot of property owners. Um, uh, this this buyer you worked I, your tail off to find opportunities yeah well and to talk about small inventory we finally found the one that so they did close on something very recently and <laughs> come to find out when we when we figured out what the property was coming on the market chris and i had been on it about a year and a half previous yeah it, wow. had, it was a pocket listing with a, a previous broker and um different price point a couple of years ago <laughs> but uh you know to speak to lack of inventory you know when i was told that something was coming on the market it was a particular acreage next to a vineyard and i was like okay there's four properties like that yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna be on one of those four properties this next Where's week the reality if someone wants to buy something on the applegate the probably you know it from oh yeah one end to the yeah. other definitely like holy cow um but it was, it was a lot of fun and it was an education process for me too. Um, you know, 
like we said, I'm, I'm from Josephine County. I've spent more time on the Rogue River um, and in the North Valley at Grants Pass. And so to really just inundate and commit myself to learning everything there was about the Applegate River, finding people that just wanted to talk to me and asking the simple question of, Mm-hmm. Who do you know that wants to sell? Sure. You know, who do you know that's uh, maybe uh, moving on to the next thing? And you only uh, got run off a few properties. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good track record. But uh, yes, I mean, it, it can definitely be a tough search to find the right property. I mean, that's going to happen in, in any niche, but especially in water because of how few properties there are in the first place. Sure. For, this is a personal perspective question. Sure. What is your favorite body of water in Southern Oregon? So because I spent so much time doing it, I've come to really, really like the Applegate. Um, kind of a fun part about being a broker is like I've gotten access to or been able to be on some of these properties that, I mean, people never will get to see some of the stretches of river we that so I've seen. We are so spoiled. We get to oh. see some of the most special yeah. property, period. Out of just, you know, pure selection. I mean, there's just certain properties that either sell, I mean, the commitment from my client was that this will be passed down to his kids. Like no one is ever going to set foot on that stretch of river probably ever again, other than, you know, guests and people like that. But like the Applegate is just very, very exclusive. Um, and so I, I've spent a lot of time out there and definitely become, uh, to become attracted to that. Uh, but you know, Chris and I have shared this thought before, you know, driving through the Illinois Valley, um, it is a, bit further commute than I would want to commit to if I was to uh, buy You come into buy town property. every day. It's a yeah, little bit of a it's commute. Not, I don't really want to go over if the hill. If you're retiring, it's a whole yeah, different story. But it's a naturally gorgeous area. And there are some, the few that, that come up, there are some really gorgeous properties out there. So, I mean, the Applegate River would, would be my, my number one destination. There's some, there's some pickpocketed properties, though, that have these big ponds or private lakes that are also pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so... I would second the Applegate River as being my favorite river to own on. Sure. If I was going to go f- for the day for a adventure, I'm probably going to go the Rogue. And probably the Lower Rogue for me. Uh, I've done a couple fishing trips up there. See, I'm I'm more partial to the Upper Rogue. Fair but, enough. you know, that's just because I like, I don't really like when the water gets as big as the Lower Rogue. It's just, it, I feel like I'm on the ocean or something. <laughs> I don't know. But um, bar none, though, for me, if I could have a private reservoir, like a true lake private yeah that's that's that would be my choice yeah well we and, and we mentioned one of the most stunning pieces of water that that we got to go beyond was the star ranch that star lake was absolutely amazing yeah. i mean to you to drive up to that and it's got kind of a really cool cool reveal on the back side there where you don't even see it coming you're just climbing up and all of a sudden bam it's there and uh i mean well you you haven't had a chance to see the the Indian Lake Ranch when it was on the market no. back in the day, that was that was 60 surface acres. Yeah, ma- massive. Yeah, massive. Absolutely. And massive. it had a similar reveal when you came in. The only difference was the main house sat on the lake. On the lake. See, they had, they had, that's the tough part. That that was special. I, I still remember that vividly. <laughs> the the other one, uh, Robert working on that the old Stanley Reservoir property out there, and that one the main house overlooks about a 15 acre lake that's in this private draw. And it is like, you just walk out on the dock and there's just bass everywhere. Like you're just like, oh my goodness, this lake has not been fished, like hardly at all. Well, and, and it is phenomenal. With the water, I mean, obviously we've talked about 
fishing and fishability, but the other nice thing with water is if you're any kind of outdoorsman with water comes wildlife. Yeah, they absolutely. They like to drink water. There is. <laughs> <laughs> they like to drink water. You know, uh, and so, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, when we're talking about house placement, right? I mean, obviously, if your dream is more aesthetic, having the house perched up on the, on the lake or on a river, absolutely awesome. But then there's the other side of, okay, I want to keep my house over here, but if I want to go spot and stock or watch by the lake, um, give you some freedom to do that without, you know, bagging a buck in your actual backyard. Sure. Here's my counter argument to that. After after one generation of animals, they'll think that that house has been there forever and they'll just start coming in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and because people normally ask like best questions, right? Like what's the best river to buy on? For a buyer, what is the best way to approach acquiring a live water property in, in Southern Oregon? So call Chris or myself. <laughs> Step one, call Chris or Alex. Patience. Patience. Without a doubt. Patience. And just two years. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Patience is number one. Number two is understanding what's available and being ready to jump on something when it comes up. Okay. Because a lot of people are like, oh, this isn't quite right. And then two years go by and they're like, well, that was definitely the best thing I saw in two years. Yeah. So educating yourself on what you you know, want what you're willing to compromise on, getting out and seeing what you can see mm -hmm. so that when something comes up, you know if it's special or not for you. Gotcha. Well, I think that, that touches on it whenever we have, you know, out of town clientele, you know, that are buying here and aren't here every day, that can be a tough thing because I mean, you and I could take out our phones and I mean, this is gorgeous. I can take a great video, but that does not invoke the pleasure of sitting here and watching the sun beat off the river and, and even the smell or the sound or anything. Um, now, ideally, someone that wants to be on live water has already understood those things, but those can definitely differentiate property to property. Yeah, I think, and it's interesting, the live water thing has almost also become a status symbol mm. in many ways, especially with the hunting type properties. You know, live water has become, if it doesn't have live water, I don't want to buy it. It's still a great hunting property. Oh, I don't care. I got to have live water. Yeah. It's become a status thing of like, well, my ranch has a river or I have live water or whatever it is. It's definitely become a thing. Well, yeah. I mean, water's the new gold. Yeah. And whether that be for sustainability or survival or it be for irrigation, yeah. um, it's hard to come by. Well, the reality is it is therapeutic. It's the best I felt all week. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> anyway. So to wrap up in Southern Oregon, when it comes to live water, what would be, Alex, what's your takeaway for people watching this, listening to this as they're approaching either selling or buying live water? What, what would you want to put in their mind? That you have or are looking for something special. Okay. You know, um, and, and to play off of, of patience is um, being patient for a buyer, not settling. You know, it's, it's easy to, with the type of inventory that we have, it's easy to just say, oh, well, I mean, it fits the, checks the box, that, that, that works. But um, so realizing that you have or want something mm -hmm. special um, and not just special, but, but naturally important. You know, you have something that um, means something to more than just you, but there's the next person down the riverbank, you know, so what you do on your property can have an effect on the next one down the river and mm. vice versa. So, you know, realizing that water connects us all. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Chris, what would, what would you say? It's a tough question. I think 
if, if I was to say one thing about live water in Southern Oregon, you have to come and experience it. I think it's as simple as it, a lot of people who are coming here from a, a, another part of the country, whether it's rural or not, yeah. you gotta come experience what live water is here. You gotta come literally put your feet in the water, stand on the bank, cast a line, and understand what it is before you can say, this is what I wanna buy. Sure. Because there is so, uh, so many different types here that you gotta get educated. Yeah. And it's not too, I mean, having to come get educated, it's not too bad. Yeah. Come do it. <laughs> come, come experience it. <laughs> Give us an excuse to go look at some more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get out there and see it. Well, so. thank you both so much for taking us through all of that. Absolutely. That was absolutely incredible. Yeah. So thank you all for watching and listening. This has been the Land and Blast podcast on live water in Southern Oregon. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Alex. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Sam. And see you guys next time.